At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, From Him, Through Us, For All, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Amen. Thanks, Jeremy. I uh, appreciate those kind words, and I appreciate uh, you not making me cry this week, maybe next week. Uh, um, I love Pastor Jeremy. He's a dear friend of mine, and I've just been so grateful for the, the four years of, of serving here. And uh, I love so many people, so many of you at this church. I love this church, and uh, it's going to make it um, all the more difficult to, to transition out. Um, but I'm so grateful for all of you, and I'm grateful for another opportunity to, to go into God's Word today with you. So as Jeremy said, our passage is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 to 9. And uh, we're talking about, uh, it, it starts off by talking about excelling, right? And uh, I want to talk about something really quickly here. I think we all have certain people that we want to excel in certain areas. We all have people that we want to be proficient or really good in certain areas. For, for example, it's tax season, right? So if you have an accountant do your taxes, you expect your accountant to be good at math, right? And like organized so that your taxes get submitted accurately and on time, right? Uh, the crossing guards at elementary schools, we expect them to be, uh, to excel in attentiveness to children and care for children so that the, the post-school rush goes safely, right? Um, a farmer, we expect to have a, to excel in a great knowledge of how plants grow and which plants grow well, well in, in different soils so that, you know, heaven forbid there's no extreme weather, things will grow, the crops will thrive, harvest will be bountiful. I'm even expecting to be uh, wowed by the excellence of the athletes in the Tokyo Olympics. I think about like Simone Biles and Katie Ledecky, like I'm expecting to be, to see some excellent things there as they excel in what they do. I'm sure you can think of things that you want to excel at in your day-to-day -day work as well, whether you work from home or work at home or um, work out in the marketplace. Uh, the question I want to ask is this though. What does the world want to see Christ followers excel in? Or maybe more pointedly, how does God want us to excel after we've surrendered our lives to Christ? He wants us, by his strength, by his power, to be transformed, right? Uh, our transformed hearts should result in transformed actions. Our hands, our words, our thoughts should result in that. Our works don't save us. We, we know that. Jesus saves us. Our self-righteousness, our desire to be righteous on our own strength is but filthy rags compared to the white robes of righteousness of Jesus. We must trust him. We must place our faith in him. We must believe that he lived the life that we could not. And he died the death that we deserved and rose again to life so that we might also have life. So what does life look like after coming to faith in Jesus? It means we now should, because of the Holy Spirit, be growing towards excellence in certain areas, right? We should be growing in excellence in love. We should be excelling in discipline. We should be excelling in joy. We should excel in patience. But one thing we don't often talk about, and perhaps we, we don't like to talk about it, is that the scriptures tell us that as believers, we should excel in giving. We should excel in giving. 
That's what we're going to be talking about today. We need to know that the gospel working itself out in our lives should totally transform us from the inside out. Like I said, a transformed heart brings about transformed actions. So in response to what Jesus has done, we, we, we are transformed. We now surrender our Sunday mornings to gather together, to worship together, and to lift high the name of Jesus. We, we surrender moments of our day to read God's word, to pray to him. We surrender our time and our gifts to serve the body of Christ and those around us. We, we surrender time in our day or our week to be in active, loving gospel community with other believers. These things are crucial for our faith and discipleship and growth in Jesus. But oftentimes we neglect the area of generosity when it comes to our growth. So to help us see the importance of this area in our faith, in response to the gospel, we're in the second week of our series called Overflow, From Him to Us for All, where we're looking at how the gospel relates to this particular area, the area of our giving, the area of our generosity. So as Pastor Jeremy mentioned last week, we're in the, the, the letter of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written for at least a couple reasons. The first one was to try to smooth out the relationship between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. They had kind of rejected Paul in some ways from being their leader, their apostle. Um, and Paul had to write a very aggressive letter to them, rebuking them, calling them out, saying, hey, you need to remember the gospel. You need to remember that I am not an apostle because I just decided to be one one day. Like Jesus showed himself to me and made me an apostle. This was his choice. So he wrote it to kind of smooth out the relationship between them. Hey, are we okay? Are we okay? Okay, good. And they move on forward together. The other reason was practical. The brothers in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church of Jerusalem were in, extreme, in an extremely difficult time. They were perhaps poorer than you and I can even imagine. They were desperate for financial assistance. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church to encourage them to be generous with what God has given them towards their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. God's grace has been given to the Corinthians in so many ways. It was abundant. It was overflowing. They were to share that grace with others. And in this particular case, that grace looked like money, like, looked like finances. And their recipients was their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So this letter was written for them, right? The Corinthian believers. It was written for them in their time, their situation, but we also benefit tremendously from it. Seeing the heart of Paul as he writes these words, seeing what is the connection between giving and the gospel? What is the tie there? This is super helpful for us. This is God's eternal word speaking to us clearly 2,000 years later. The big question this text helps us answer today, the big one, is why? Why should we excel in giving? What is the big deal why does it matter? Like, why can't I hoard my money and my resources to myself? Why is it important that I'm generous at all? So we're going to see this together in our text today. Our text actually shows us three reasons why it's so important for us as recipients of God's grace to excel in giving. The first reason is that excelling in giving displays God's grace. Excelling in giving displays God's grace. So let's look at verse 7 together. It says this, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
in all earnestness and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. So as you may know, the Corinthians had a bit of an obsession with spiritual gifts. Paul had to write to them extensively about how do you appropriately use what God has given you, what God has graced you with. And he's told them many times, most notably 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul reminds the Corinthians that they have been profoundly blessed. They they excel in many things. So he's referring, uh, when he says they excel in in faith, we see this list in verse 7. There's a list of a whole bunch of things they excel in. The first one is faith. This is one of those spiritual gifts that Paul listed back in 1 Corinthians 12. They excel in speech and in knowledge. These are some of the things that Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 1 that they excelled in because of God's grace. They're excelling in these areas. It says also they excelled in earnestness or or eagerness. So the the Corinthians certainly had their issues, right? They they certainly seem to be a bit stale in their generosity when Paul is writing this letter to them. But that wasn't true at all times and in all areas of their faith. Uh, Pastor Jeremy pointed out last week how Paul is using the example of the Macedonian church to encourage the Corinthians to do likewise, right? They are super generous. They didn't really have a whole lot of means, but they were super generous because of what God has done for them. Be, be like the Macedonians in some way, like be generous with what God has given you. So he's using them to urge them on. But it's funny, uh, in the next chapter, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, Paul is actually, we're going to see that the Macedonians themselves were at one time stirred up by the zeal of the Corinthians. So it's this circular encouragement to love and good works. The Macedonians encourage the Corinthians. The Corinthians encourage the Macedonians. They're all pointing, they keep pointing each other back towards faithfulness in Jesus. Like, hey, hey, let's keep going. Let's keep going towards Jesus. Let's keep thriving and, and growing and trying to push the boundaries of generosity friendly nudge back and forth to pursue faithfulness. So Paul is not chastising the Corinthians here. He's encouraging them. He's saying, you are earnest. You have shown great great eagerness in the past. Why not now and in this way towards your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? And finally, Paul tells them that they excel in a fifth area. They excel in having Paul's love. This is significant because as Pastor Jeremy and I have said, the uh, relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth was not all rainbows and cupcakes. Like it was, they were going through a rough patch. Some things needed to be smoothed out. Paul writes this last comment to clear up any misconceptions that may have come about because of that friction between them. He loves them greatly. His love towards them is abounding. They lack in no amount of Paul's love. He is behind them. He is for them 100%. So they have been, the Corinthians have been given or graced with a lot of things. And they abound in many areas. God's grace in their church is evident by the way they have responded. They haven't taken in all these different graces of God and just sat on them and put them in a corner and not put them to work. But they've actively put them into action in the life of their church. They have excelled in these acts of grace And Paul commends them. He's not belittling them or or arguing with them or or yelling at them. But verse 7 tells, the the very end of verse 7, tells us there is an act of grace that they are not 
currently excelling in as they ought to. This act of grace is the one mentioned in in verse 6 that Titus is coming to complete. He's coming to collect an offering for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They have excelled in, in these acts except for the act of giving. So the why is built into that phrase, act of grace. It's just like the other areas the the Corinthians excel in, it's only because of God's grace that they're able to excel in these areas. The act of, of doing any of these things, including giving, displays the fact that God's grace has been given to them. So, so faith shows that God's grace has been given to them. Earnestness shows that God's grace has been given to them. And giving should show that God's grace has been given to them. We all see evidences of, of God's grace around us, right? I think of... Uh, Um, watching Timothy Keller, the retired pastor from New York City, respond to his critics on Twitter with grace and patience and honor and humility. It's amazing. It's like supernatural to watch, to be honest. Like, I don't know how anyone responds to their critics like the way he does. And it's just like, that's God's God's grace in his life, showing it, being displayed to people around around him. I think of uh, folks like yourselves with an eagerness to come and serve at our, our fellowship events, our outreach events, just all hands on deck. Hey, I'm here. How can I help? That is evidence of grace being shown in your life. I think of our life groups and all the ways I've heard about people supporting each other financially or through uh, health crises, and I'm blown away and I'm thankful for how God's grace is being displayed in your lives. But what would it look like for us to give in a proportional way to God's grace so that people might see God's grace displayed in our lives through our giving and our generosity. But again, we don't, we don't do this for attention. We don't do this to bring attention of others towards ourselves. I want to clarify. We don't do this to draw attention to ourselves. Jesus himself says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we'll do this secretly, but it doesn't necessarily mean that no one's going to take notice. For example, the Corinthians noticed the generosity, the profound generosity of the Macedonians. They saw this. But when people do notice, we pray that they see our true intentions. This is not to draw attention to ourselves. Regardless of who sees us or who doesn't see us, we give as an act of worship to God. We're grateful for God's abundant grace in our lives, so we give in response abundantly. One of the things we need to consider today, I need to consider today, is how are we doing with displaying God's grace through our generosity? So our text is showing us three reasons why it's so important that we as believers excel in giving as a response to being recipients of his grace. The first one was that we excel in, excelling in giving displays God's grace. The second is that excelling in giving displays genuine love. It displays genuine love. So I want to look at verse 8 together. It says, I say this, Paul's saying this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So again, Paul is not approaching the Corinthians, his brothers and sisters in Corinth, with a posture of anger 
or disappointment. He doesn't approach them as a dictator, telling them what to do and exactly how much to give. He comes humbly. He comes gently and lovingly. He tells them he isn't giving them a command. It's an encouragement to them. He doesn't want them to to give their money begrudgingly. The last thing he wants to hear is, oh man, I got to give my money because Paul told me to, or oh man, I got to give my money because I want to be a good person, or I got to give my money because I want to, you know, get God's attention or impress God. No, it's none of those things. Just as the eagerness of the Macedonians uh, to give to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem displayed their genuine love, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do the same. The Macedonians could have sent their, their well wishes onto Jerusalem with no physical offering, right? They could have said, you know, we hope things work out for you. We love you guys. But they would send nothing, no food, no clothes, no money, nothing to their brothers and sisters. How would that have come across to the believers in Jerusalem? I would say it'd probably be something along the lines of, They don't really love us that much. If they loved us, they would have sent things that we actually need. I think of the passage in 1 John 3 where it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? But the Macedonians were eager They were eager to prove their love was genuine for the Jerusalem church. They gave generously, and their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem had little doubt as to the love that their brothers and sisters in Macedonia shared for them. Imagine how encouraging that would have been for the people in Jerusalem to have evidence, proof of someone else's profound love for you shown by them giving generously. You see, the Jerusalem church was important, one, because they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but also because they were a mother church in ways to the churches in Macedonia, to Greece, to Corinth. The life of, the majority of the life of Jesus, the, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus all happened in or near Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit fell during Pentecost and the church began in Jerusalem. Those early believers could have said, you know what, Let's just keep it within the city walls. Let's not share it with anyone. Let's not share this message. Let's hoard up God's grace in the gospel and just keep it to ourselves. No one takes this message outside the city gates. But they didn't. Yes, they were driven. Some of them were driven out because of persecution. But they went willingly. They chose to spend their lives spreading the good news about Jesus to the ends of the earth. Churches like Macedonia and Corinth and churches in Greece only existed because of the faithfulness and the genuine love of the people of Jerusalem to share what they had been given. Paul is urging the Corinthians to respond in love to their mother church back in Jerusalem, the church to which they owe a great spiritual debt. And their mother church right now needs financial assistance. They need clothes. They need food. They need housing. I came across this really encouraging article this week. It was a story of a bunch of fraternity brothers from LSU in the 80s and 90s. They had a cook that worked at their fraternity for 14 years. Her name was Jessie Hamilton. She loved the fraternity brothers dearly. She loved them and she showed her genuine love by putting food on the table every every night for them. If a student couldn't make dinner time, she would make sure they were still fed. 
When a student was having a hard time preparing for exams, she would help them manage their stress. When a student was going through a rough time and just needed someone to talk to, a motherly voice, she was there, eager to help. And the fraternity brothers loved her back. They treated her like a second mom. And today, nearly 30 years later after these men have graduated from college, presumably well into their careers and uh, having families of their own perhaps, haven't forgotten their second mother. A couple weeks ago, they they brought her in they all raised, they raised funds together. They were shooting texts and emails back and forth. They raised a bunch of money, and they brought her in. They dedicated a day after her, calling it Jesse Hamilton Day, and then they paid off her mortgage. She was elderly, and she wasn't able to retire because she had this mortgage, but she really wanted to retire. They paid off the remainder of her mortgage, $45,000, gave her an extra $6,000 in, in cash to spend on herself, and then they dedicated this day after her just to show her how appreciated and loved that she was for all that they did, all that she did for them when they were in college. She was obviously blown away. The article concluded with these words, though, and these are the ones I want to leave you with here. She said, they were my kids. They still are. They used to tell me they loved me, and now they've proved it. See how what they did was proving their genuine love for Jesse. The same is true for our giving. Proves our genuine love for God and for others. What does our level of giving say about our own love? The scriptures are showing us that our our level of generosity is an indicator, a litmus test of the genuineness of our love. If we don't see uh, generosity in our lives, this this knowledge is a gift from God to show us that perhaps our love is not genuine, that we need to perhaps be woken up in this regard, that our, our love is not genuine for him or our neighbors, perhaps. If we do see generosity in our lives, We give glory to God. We say, thank you, God, for overwhelming me with your grace in this area and letting it overflow from me onto others. It's all because you loved me first. If all the evidence we had about our love, uh, to tell us about our love, was our level of generosity, what does that say? Would our love be found to be genuine? I know I need to wrestle with this. I'm sure many of you do as well. So those were the first two reasons why it's so important that we need to excel in giving if we, if we are recipients of God's grace. The first one was that, we are ex- that excelling in giving displays God's grace. The second was that excelling in giving displays genuine love. The third, final, and most important point of why we should excel in giving as recipients of God's grace is that excelling in giving displays the gospel. Excelling in giving displays the gospel. Let's read that last verse, verse 9 together. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here we come to the central point of the message, perhaps the central point of our our series that we're in. We're to give because excelling in giving displays the gospel the good news about what Jesus has done. Jesus was rich beyond our imaginations, God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, presider over heaven and earth, the Son of God the Father, right? He created all things, upheld all things and sustained all things by his power. He's dependent upon no being. He's dependent on nothing, 
no bean for help, no object for comfort, no food for sustenance. He didn't even need clean air for breathing. He was utterly independent, free from any need whatsoever. Even the richest human cannot come close to saying that they are not dependent upon other things or other people like that. Despite his power, his riches, his place of authority over all things, the verse tells us that he, becomes, he became poor. He set aside his rich status to come to earth. He, God himself, lowered himself to be born as a human. He once was independent, and now he's dependent in some way. In the very beginning, he's, he's dependent upon the nurturing and care and love of his own mother, the one that he is at the same time sustaining and holding in his hand. It's like mind-blowing. But Jesus wasn't just born to humans. He was born to poor humans in a town with a bad reputation. He was not born to the Jeff Bezos or uh, Bill Gates family of first century Judea. He was born to a lowly carpenter and a young bride and his young bride who uh, probably did not have a great reputation because she was found to be pregnant before being married. Born as a human, born to parents of questionable reputation, but it still continues. He didn't even have a home. When he was on his primary years of ministry, he, he went from town to town living off the generosity of those around him to support himself and his disciples with food and shelter. But his poverty brings him even lower than that brings him to death, to a criminal's death on a cross. He doesn't die some sort of noble death in battle like some men fantasize about. He dies a humiliating, undeserved death, being mocked and abused right up until his last breath. You see that tremendous contrast that's here? I mean, he's, he's got comfort, he's got power, he's got riches is what he deserves in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father. But what did he choose? He chooses discomfort, humiliation, poverty, all the way to death on a cross. Why? Why would he do this? Who in their right mind would do this? The passage tells us that it is for your sake. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he did that for you. He is the richest being in the universe. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the hills. He owns all the mountains, all the streams, all the lakes, all the, all the seas, all the stars. He owns everything. He became poor so that you might become rich. And the Corinthians were poor. They may have had a little bit of money in their pocket before they came to faith in Christ, but they had no spiritual blessings from God. They were not God's people. They had no promises of God to place their hope in. They had no hope at all. So what does Jesus do to remedy that situation? Does he write them a $100,000 check and uh, say, there you go? He gave them something far better. He gives them his very own life. Through his death and resurrection, he actually united himself to the, Christ, the Corinthian believers, united them to himself. They are now sons of God. They are now righteous by faith in Christ. They are saved from hell. They are now indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. They are now rich in God's mercy and grace. They are promised future glory. Do you see how nothing could have made the Corinthians richer 
than being united to the one who owns everything. He owns everything. This is way more than getting a check. This is way more than winning the lottery. This is way more than having enough money now that I can feel comfortable being generous. This is a life-altering mindset. They are his. They belong to Jesus. They will be provided for. In fact, he's already provided for them in extravagant ways by shedding his own blood for them. In response to that, in an act of gratitude and worship, the Corinthians were to be generous, to give someone something who needed their help. Really, the Corinthians were being called to imitate Jesus' generosity. He withheld nothing from the world, right? He gave it all. Jesus was not stingy with his sacrifice one bit. The Corinthians were to go and do likewise. Be generous. Hold nothing back, knowing that you belong to God. Don't be stingy. You are a son of the one who owns everything. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this uh, similar thought in a, a pretty poetic way. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in the human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as the Corinthians and we imitate Jesus' extravagantly generous sacrifice, when we are generous with our possessions, we display the gospel. We display the gospel I don't know if you've noticed, this world is fascinated by high and mighty people lowering themselves down to a low level. I think all of us are kind of blown away when we find, hear a story about a celebrity who's actually like really kind, really humble, and really down to earth. I think we're blown away when we hear about a famous athlete who walks into a Verizon store and just says, hey, I want to pay for these people's phones, or walks into a car dealership and buys someone a car just randomly. Like that just blows our mind that someone would do that. Even the most... But even the most philanthropic CEO who's got tons of money, even his or her generosity has a limit. We don't see uh, high-level CEOs open their homes to homeless people for long periods of time. Their generosity has limits, but Jesus's doesn't. With Jesus as our example, we see that there should be no limits to our generosity. Our generosity should be so unbounded that it actually displays the unbounded grace of Jesus in the gospel. Our generosity is evidence that our trust in Jesus is actually real. We can say we trust Jesus, but one of the points of evidence of a transformed life is our generosity, our desire to give to those in need, to give to our church, to give those that need it more than we do, to consider others greater than we consider ourselves. James 2 talks about this idea like this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So does our generosity display 
the goodness, the unbounding, unbounded grace of the gospel. So I, for those of you that may know me, I'm a bit of an Excel nerd, and I'm a fan of family budgets. I would encourage you to find a way to do a budget yourself. Find out where is your money actually going? Is it going, does it display your generosity? Are there areas that you could cut out some of your own personal comforts to say, hey, we now have this money, we can give. We can give generously to those around us. Give to our church, give to those in need. Give to our neighbors, give to our life group when people come across hard times. Does our level of giving show the world around us that God is stingy? That he's actually conservative with his investments of grace? Or do we excel in giving, showing the world around us that the God we worship is extravagant in his mercy and his grace towards us? He's held nothing back but giving his own life to make us spiritually rich in his blessings. What kind of gospel are we proclaiming by our generosity? So if you're an accountant, people expect you to be good at math. If you're a farmer, people expect you to, to be good at growing things. If you're a Christian, without exception, whether you're rich or poor, no matter what you make per year, God wants us to be generous. God wants us to excel in giving. Jesus didn't set aside a part of his possessions or a part of his life that were simply his and nobody else's. He opened his wallet, his heart, his life entirely to the world around him. He gave his whole life to serve others, being generous with his time and his resources. And when he ran out of money and time, he gave his life. He he left nothing left. He gave his whole life so that we might be rich. Do you know that you've been made rich because of your union with Jesus, the ruler of all things? If, if you know that, how should we respond? The question is, what does imitating the extravagant generosity of Jesus look like for you today, this week, this year, the rest of your life? We, and hopefully this is an encouragement, we can never give as much as Jesus did. We will never give as much as he did. Even if we give away all we have and lay down our lives, our lives aren't as valuable as his life. We can't outgive Jesus, but we can respond appropriately to the extravagant gift that he's given us through his sacrifice. May the world look at us and see people that are overwhelmed with an abundant grace from God and it is overflowing from us onto anyone that meets us. And may that give us opportunity to tell us, tell them about the one who became poor so that we might be made rich. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your generosity in sending Jesus. We thank you so much that that is a sacrifice that uh, we cannot repay or we cannot live a perfect life and die that kind of death. Lord, we thank you that you've sent Jesus to pay that bountiful price for us. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that uh, you, being creator of all things, sent your son to give his life for us. Lord, may we as believers be overwhelmed by that truth that your grace is abundant. We be overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus in our lives. 
May that transform the way we think about our finances, the way we think about our time, the way we think about our abilities. May we use them all for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, help us to be so generous that it displays the gospel, that we use We share the gospel with our words, but we also display it through our actions. May we be so generous that we get to have opportunities to talk to people about Jesus and what he's done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. May he get all the glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.